Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jeffrey Curry's going to come out with his version of Fooled by Randomness on Oil, Global Head of Commodity at Research at Goldman Sachs. Jeff Curry, I, I say this with immense respect for your bulletproof University of Chicago microeconomics and econometrics. How did oil fool you by its randomness in the last 12 months? Well, I have to say, we have never been this wrong for this long without seeing evidence to change our views. Um, now, obviously, some of the upside has been taken away um, by recent events with, you know, the sanctioned oil surprising to the upside, whether it's Iran, Russia, Venezuela, um, and more destocking. But the core thesis still very much remains intact. Um, and I think one of the big drivers is, you know, you've lost 250 million barrels of paper length in this market. Um, we're back to where the market was as is as short as it was during COVID when we saw negative prices. And you've erased the overall length going back into the early 2000s. Um, and I chalk this up to, you know, ultimately a broad what we call the great destocking. High interest rates are forcing destocking of physical barrels, destocking of sanctioned barrels, destocking of SPRs, destocking of finished goods, even destocking of financial paper barrels. So we have been just continuously selling um, for about six months um, to, to nine months now. Can you elaborate a little bit? Because for people who are not in the nitty gritty, a lot of what you said was perhaps a bit opaque. The connection of high interest rates to a, a lack of interest in buying oil on a whole range of areas or a lack of sort of stockpiling physical or paper crude? Let's just go through, yeah, let's go through the economics. Let's say to borrow money today to buy a barrel of oil, because you got to, you know, finance your, your, your physical inventory, let's say it's seven, eight percent, somewhere like that. Um, LIBOR is paying you five and a quarter. That's your opportunity cost of putting your money into a risk-free investment. So your net cost of holding physical inventory runs somewhere around 13, potentially even 15% in this environment. Um, why are you gonna do that? You've got NVIDIA and NASDAQ going up. There's so many better places to put your money. And I think the other point too, um, oil, copper, and the rest of these markets don't have a positive carry. So they cost you to own it, cost you to store it. You're going to drain down these inventories as much as you can. So oil, <coughs> copper, they are a liability right now. They are not an asset. And until they become an asset, no one's going to want to hold them, hold them in an inventory or hold them in a paper form. And so you could just think about that the cost of holding these these commodities has risen so much that ultimately you're destocking. Now, we've been waiting nearly a decade 
for the Iranian floating storage to discharge. It's finally discharging right now, which tells you nobody really wants to hold um, you know, this commodity. Um, we think that's going to change. And I think it has to start with lower inventories, forcing what we call a backwardation, which is a positive carry in the curve. Then somebody will want to own it. This is fascinating because for years, people were decrying the financialization <clears throat> of crude as sort of a, a bet on the macro economy. Are you saying that it is no longer in the same kind of way, that this is basically uh, where it is traded, but it's actually a liability now that the financialization has come to such a place where people look at it as comparable to an interest-bearing type of instrument. And you're waiting for some sort of, not I want to say crisis, but a complete lack of inventory to spur prices in such an extreme way that you get a violent shift up that really forces the hand of people who are left kind of in the dust. I thought, I, I'm not going to say it's 100% interest rates, it's fear of recession, why people don't want to uh, own these. The government discharged their reserves due over fears of inflation. So there's other factors at play here, but I think your broader point is absolutely right. We think about when was oil um, financialized? In the 2000s, when interest rates, you know, it was right after September 11th in 2001, when interest rates first went to near zero, um, that's when you started to see the explosion mm -hmm. in the financialization of oil and commodities. And we stayed into this... Right. This loose money environment for nearly 15, 20 years, and now money costs something. There are a set of world-class leaders, and you're one of them, Jeff Curry, on this, and you know, with the acuity of the, uh, what I'm going to call almost the general equilibrium theory of hydrocarbons. You parachute into Riyadh right now, and you have to advise the Saudis on the elasticities of supply and demand around this new world, which is the old world of a cost of money. How do you advise Saudi Arabia in this new world of higher nominal and real interest rates? Their market power has never been higher. Um, and one of the reasons why is you combine the higher cost of money combined with um, you know, issues around the cost of funding hydrocarbon type of investments. They're the only game in town. They have no competition right now. When we look at the cut they made in October, that was the very first preemptive cut we've ever seen OPEC do. And we just saw two more cuts announced in the last, um, you know, the last three months. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they don't have fear of competition. Yes, the oil that's coming on market is Russian, Iranian, and Venezuelan sanctioned oil. And eventually you'll run out of it and there's nothing behind it. Um, but is there competition from the rest of the world? The answer is really no. Is the United States not ignorant but unaware of the international dynamics of oil, of moving oil up to Japan across the Pacific Rim, and all the dynamics of the Middle East? Have we gotten lazy? I, I think there's a bigger fo focus on immediate term issues, things like inflation fighting, which is why we saw such a sharp rundown in, in the, the SPR. And, and, and you know, you're talking, you put all the SPRs together, it was 250 million barrels drawn down. That is a lot of oil. So I think the focus from a policy perspective is get the inflation down and, and keep it down. But here's a fact I like to throw out. You know, you look at core CPI, it's somewhere around 5.5. It was at that level, you know, going back nearly two years ago. Yeah. What's changed is oil prices went down, taking headline from nine down to 4.5. Just quickly, Jeff, do you think that that's the reason why the U.S. is not refilling the SPR more aggressively because they're still concerned about inflation and that that could on the margins push prices up? 
Well, I, I think with, you know, the showdown over the debt ceiling, getting money to go buy oil would be really difficult to come by. But that aside, listen to France, listen to Germany. The focus now is building strategic reserves of green metals, you know, like battery metals, like copper, lithium, cobalt. Um, so if you're going to build uh, strategic reserves, you're probably going to do it in, you know, the green economy commodities, not in the old economy commodities. Jeff, where's oil in a year? I know it's an unfair question given all the ambiguities out there right now, but I've got to ask. I mean, we're, we're down, 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 right, wrong, whatever. Scope out where we are in 12 months. Yeah, I, I, our view is you're going to be see substantial physical inventory draws because of these OPEC production cuts, um, particularly during third quarter as well as in fourth quarter. That's going to push us up into the low 90s. Now, the question is, will you bring the investor back into this market? And by the way, I put a question mark on it because it'll have to be a, a new class of investor. It take that investor buying to push you back up towards mm -hmm. 100. Um, we're not, you know, I know a lot of them have gone left and it'll be difficult to get them back. But I think the key question, fundamentally, we can get this market higher. And I think if we get right. once you turn oil into an asset, um, you'll attract capital back to it. But I don't think it's going to be the same cast of characters. Jeffrey Curry, thank you so much. Just absolutely brilliant there with Goldman Sachs. And Lisa, this really rolls over to Chanelle Bassett's conversation yesterday with Mr. Waldron of Goldman Sachs. They're both talking about what, what you've talked about so much. Guess what? The world's changed. There's now an interest rate. It affects equities, bonds, currencies, commodities, and West Street downtown. It was just fascinating. I really want to spend <clears throat> some time thinking about what he just said, the financialization going into reverse of the crude market. In the next hour, Mohammed El-Aryan is on. He's not with Bloomberg Surveillance. He's with another show. Stay with us on radio, on television. Good morning. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way. A brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.